Good morning and happy Sabbath. I've had three people tell me that they've seen me do this before. <laughs> and I said, I don't think so. But maybe I have and I don't remember. <laughs> so, When taken to the hospital, the old herdsman was sick, blind, and dying. While he was there, his granddaughter came every day and read to him. The old man enjoyed the soft sound of the child's voice. One day, she found in the room a Bible left by a friend. She casually opened to 1 John 1 and began to read. He listened attentively, and when he heard the words, And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin, he interrupted her. Tell me, he said, is that really there? Yes, Grandpa, it's there. Could you read it to me again? And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. For a few seconds, there was silence. Then he asked, are you sure that's there in that book? Yes, Grandpa, quite sure. Please take my hand and place my finger on that passage and read it to me again. And she did. Tears dripped down from his sightless eyes. And his voice was heard speaking with difficulty, but with great assurance. My dear child, if anyone should ask you how I died, please tell them that I died cleansed. Now, we know that sin is what separates us from God, but we must remember that Jesus sacrificed removed that barrier of sin and reconciles us to God. The all-important belief of this is the atonement, to be at one with God. Here are some other words that fall under that. There's cleanse, forgive, be merciful, pardon, reconcile, and redeem. I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, have heard the term atonement before. But until just recently, I didn't put such importance on it. Um, so I hope that by the time we're done, we'll all have a clear understanding um, of what this truly means in our beliefs. Colossians 1.23 says, We need to be grounded and settled in the faith and not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. So we'll begin by learning how the atonement affects our beliefs, because later we'll see a way that Satan, in his subtle ways, takes this away. Before creation, the Godhead put, a plan, put the plan of salvation in place. In 2 Timothy 1 and, uh, verse 9, it says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So if the human race would fall into sin, Jesus would bear their punishment. He would pay the price of their redemption. He would make the atonement for their sin. So from Genesis through the Old Testament, we know that God wanted to be with the people he created, and he wanted them to desire him, to be at one with him. 
The sanctuary service held a major part in this God and his people coming together. And it's really been neat because in our Sabbath school quarterly, so far we've been talking about worship, but this blends right in with the sanctuary service and um, what Jesus has done for us. And so I'm, I'm just happy that, and even today, it's just all been blending together. So the sanctuary service was carried out to um, show and help the people understand the need for a substitutionary death. Sacrifice. Atonement not only involved the killing of the sacrificial lamb, but it also included the priestly ministering of the shed blood in the sanctuary itself. So atonement can refer to both Christ's death and his intercessory ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. We'll move on to God's law. He gave his law to provide people with abundant blessings and to lead them into a saving relationship with himself. The law reveals our sins, but it doesn't save us. We must look to Jesus upon the cross, dying under the weight of the sins of the world. And then the Holy Spirit shows us the attitude of God to all who repent of their sins. And hope fills our souls. And in faith we reach out to our Savior, who extends to us the gift of everlasting life. Throughout Scripture, we know that the law and gospel work together, and one upholds the other. Baptism, a sign of a saving relationship with Jesus. In the symbolic act of baptism, the believer enters into death of Christ, and in a real sense, that death becomes his. And he enters into the resurrection of Christ, and that resurrection becomes his resurrection. In this, we must have faith in Jesus' atoning sacrifice as the only means of salvation from sin. Of course, the communion service symbolizes Christ's atoning death. This is something we shouldn't just take lightly as just a happening in history. It's a reminder of what sin has cost God. It also should be a means of keeping fresh in our minds a duty to bear public witness to his faith in the atoning death of Jesus. The millennium and the end of sin. As I mentioned before, Jesus is in the heavenly sanctuary, ministering the benefits of his completed atonement to his people. And then at his return, he will redeem us and give us eternal life. You want to open your Bibles now to Revelation 14, 6, and 7. We're going to get into the three angels' message. Revelation 14, 6, and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made the heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. We heard a sermon a couple weeks ago about how the first angel's message ties into God's law. The first angel's message also says that sinners can be justified by faith and receive Christ's righteousness. It calls us to worship the Creator. And soon, everyone will have to make a choice between true and false worship. 
Okay, moving on in Revelation 14, verse 8. Second angel. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Here Babylon symbolizes all apostate religious organizations, especially to the great apostate religious alliance between the beast and his image that will bring about the final crisis described in Revelation 13, 15-17. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Babylon falls because she rejects the first angel's message. Worship the creator and not man. Revelation 18.4 tells us, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. Going on in Revelation 14, verses 9 to 11, the third angel's message. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark on his forehand or on his hand, forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which has poured all full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. The third angel's message proclaims God's most solemn warning against worshiping the beast and his image, the man-made worship which all who reject the gospel of righteousness by faith will do. All of this that we have gone through has been just a brief study of how the atonement affects our beliefs. These beliefs come from God and his word. And Christ is the focus of the Bible. But one of Satan's strategies in the conflict of good and evil is to convince people that they can understand truth apart from Jesus. This suits both the nature of the purpose of the Antichrist to suggest other centers of truth than Christ. Let's remember Psalms 49, verse 7. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. There's a movement that's been going on. It's growing. It's uh, promoted by major religious people. And it's creeping into a lot of churches, and even the Seventh-day Adventist churches. This movement basically takes Jesus out of the picture. So therefore, you're taking the atonement out of the picture. It puts man in his ways before God in his ways. And this is how... Jesus 101, subtitle, Growing in Jesus. Here are the subjects that are in this class. Contemplative prayer, discipleship, meditation, spiritual discipline. Sounds kind of innocent, doesn't it? But here are the specific teachings. Doctrine, not important at all. Feelings are emphasized. Believe anything you want. 
Seek unity among diversity. There are sensory activities such as incense, candles, icons being used to replace the Bible in a faith in Christ. Repetition in prayer, saying one religious word over and over for a long time. Guided exercises, guided reflection. A main focus is that you have a spiritual director. You become a cohort, obedient to this director, submitting to the will of others. You model your mentor or director, and then you teach these things that I just previously mentioned to other people. Of course, this is all presented in a way that if you do these things, you will be like Christ. That you can only understand God through these people and these teachings and not the Bible. This all comes together under mysticism, the Roman Catholic system, and the New Age beliefs. Matthew 7.15 warns us, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. We know that most of these practices have been going on for thousands of years. If you read the Bible, there's always pagan things going on. And we've heard of New Age before. And sometimes I think we think these things are, well, we don't hear about it much anymore, and it's all over, and I don't know, should I pay attention to it at all? I say we need not to be asleep. We need to be vigilant. So whether you have heard of these terms, spiritual formation, the emergent church, or the Renovare Bible, please listen closely. As Roger Oakland writes in his Faith Undone, the term spiritual formation suggests there are various ways and means to get closer to God and to emulate him. Thus the idea that if you do certain practices, you can be more like Jesus. He continues... Rather than having an indwelling of the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, spiritual formation through spiritual disciplines supposedly transforms the seeker by entering an altered realm of consciousness. So there are people that are out there searching for God. They want to be near to God. But they're being led into this mystic beliefs and sometimes even into occult rituals. And, of course, they're hidden among godly practices. The Emerging or Emergent Church. This is a movement that takes its name from the idea that as cultures change, a new church should emerge in response. Some of these groups go only a little way, and they stick pretty close to Bible doctrine. But many of them embrace postmodernist thinking, which eventually leads to a very liberal, loose translation of the Bible. They talk about unity, but they want um, religions to come together with some compromise. And so they start watering down the scripture. This is also um, called ecumenism. While seeking new ways to witness to a changing culture is admirable, utilizing ways which compromise truth of the gospel in any way is nothing more than promoting false doctrine and leading others away from Christ instead of to him. The Renovare Bible. The word renovare is a Latin word for renewal. 
but they also get into ecumenism. There are a few people, I'm not sure if you'll recognize these names, that have um, contributed to this Bible. Richard Foster, Dallas Willard, Walter Brueggemann, and Eugene Peterson. In a book that was written by Richard Foster, he talks about out-of-body experiences, so we know where he's coming from. Also, the Renovar Bible attacks the divine authorship of Genesis. Moses didn't write it, and it, they say it's mythological. They deny that the book of Daniel is prophecy. And when we know the Messiah is called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Renovar's study notes attribute this description to human agents. Renovere preys upon the spiritually hungry and ports them not to the cross of Christ or God's word, but to man's traditions and emotional human experiences. There's a declaration that has been signed by 470,000 evangelicals. It's called the Manhattan Declaration. It seeks unity among Catholics, Orthodox, evangelicals as co-belligerents in the ongoing cultural wars. They even go so far as to persuade evangelicals to influence others to reverse or dismiss the Reformation. Uniting may sound good to some, but compromise on God's word and his way is not what we should be doing. Another belief of this movement is called collective salvation, Belief that all humanity will attain our salvation collectively when we enforce quote-unquote justice on the world. When we have vanquished poverty, ended wars, and cleaned up the planet, then we will have earned our collective salvation as Jesus returns to claim his pristine planet. Jim Wallace of Sojourner Magazine is a leading social justice advocate in our nation, and he's also a spiritual advisor to President Obama. This was his answer to the question why he was dedicated to fighting global warming. We need to have a pristine planet before Jesus can return. Rarely will you see emergent and social justice leaders use the word sin and when they do, it's usually in reference to global warming, poverty, and immigration, rather than the sins that we know, that we've read in the Bible and continue today. They seek to find common ground between, religious, between religions, consistent with their end-time beliefs, and, and they emphasize the loving nature of God, but not his justice. They seek to find God in all religions, that is, their God of love, but no judgment. They quote and admire enlightened universalists. God is in all people, all religions, all things. But we know there should be no other gods before us. We've been warned of all these things for a lot of years by the whole Bible, of course, by Jesus himself. We have Ellen White. So what are we to do with all of this information? The atonement, the new age, the mysticism, 
Again, I will say, we need to be awake, we need to be vigilant, we need to be aware of what's going on around us. But we don't need to panic or become fanatical or become fearful. Because as Paul and Timothy speak to us in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The title of the, the message today was, Is That Really There? The truth is really there. Let's remember Jesus, our creator and redeemer, and worship him in spirit and in truth. Before we have closing prayer, I would like for people to just, you can stay in your pews, but come to the center and let's join hands. If you're on the fringes and need someone that you can't move, make sure you catch somebody. I'm going to come down. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your death on the cross, for the atonement of our sins. We ask now that you will keep us awake, keep us vigilant, because Satan still is out and about and ready to deceive. Go with us now and guide us into the week. And may we be the ambassadors for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.